The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined again by international law professor, Dr. Francis Boyle. He has served as counsel and advisor to many national and international bodies on numerous international issues, including on issues related to the Middle East. I've had a little bit of experience uh, myself studying under such experts. One of my professors was Dutch-American lawyer Curtis Dobler, who served, as, uh, who served on Saddam Hussein's Defense Council. I also studied under Ibrahim Sous, the late uh, Yasser Arafat's brother-in-law. And so I thought to speak with Dr. Boyle again to get his take on what's happening with these louder calls that are emanating from uh, Washington for war with uh, Iran, uh, as well as other related such issues uh, regarding what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, thanks for coming on again, Dr. Boyle. Well, thank you uh, for having me. I'm my best to your uh, listening audience and uh, happy holidays to everyone. Same to you. And I just, I, I, I thought I'd just plug your books again. You know, don't forget uh, Biowarfare and Terrorism. I got my copy here as well as uh, Destroying Libya and, and World Order. Uh, and I just wanted to mention that, you know, we last spoke in January when you broke the news on this podcast of the coronavirus being a bioweapon and the interview went viral, which was then vaccinated by YouTube and sent into oblivion. So I don't know if we're going to start a trend here because I wanted to talk, uh, as I said, uh, about Iran this time. And as you were mentioning, you know, last night, um, the headlines came out that the U.S. military had been put on alert for a potential Iranian attack uh, in the Middle East. Uh, and you've written a lot about this um, uh, in your book. And, and before we just look at what's happening this week with these provocative actions, to give our listeners maybe just a, a quick context, you know, uh, war with Iran has already been planned for two decades, uh, if not more, if not since the 1990s, when the Wolfowitz Doctrine and Project for a New American Century were put together. NATO Commander Wesley Clark revealed that in 2001, the U.S. had plans to take out Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finish off with Iran. Also yesterday, we saw fresh U.S. airstrikes in Somalia. So, you know, we've pretty much completed that list except for Iran. Uh, and you've written in your book that this is all part of the Pentagon's 2000 joint vision of obtaining full spectrum dominance over all of humanity, interestingly, by 2020, which is this year. So uh, before we look at these provocative act actions that are occurring uh, right now, could you just flesh out for listeners a bit this imperial project and why Iran is so important? Well, you are right that uh, <clears throat> General Clark said uh, after visiting the Pentagon after 9-11 that they told him there was a war plan to uh, take out all of those uh, states, uh, Arab Muslim states, Iran is uh, Persian. Um, so those war plans have been there, and you're also uh, correct. Every one of those states has been... Uh, taken out or else um, dismembered in the case of Sudan, um, except for Iran. Iran's the only one now uh, in the strategic Persian Gulf region with all the oil and gas that has not yet been destroyed and, and taken out according to the Pentagon's war plan going all the way back to uh, 2001. So you are correct. And that, I'm afraid, is uh, what we are facing now, uh, a potential war uh, with Iran. You just saw uh, the Trump administration sending um, two B-52 bombers all the way over from Barksdale Air Base directly 
uh, to uh, uh, Gatar and flying around, even in circles, uh, it, provocatively. Clearly a provocation uh, to Iran. B-52s, as you know, they're nuclear capable. I don't know if they had nuclear weapons on there or not. I guess they say they might not have, but we really can't believe anything they're saying. They've denied its provocation. Well, of course, that's a lie, and we know it. Then we also have the uh, recent assassination of the head of the uh, Iranian uh, nuclear uh, program, uh, undoubtedly by Israel. And with a uh, green light by the United States, Pompeo was out over there already meeting with Netanyahu. And I'm sure Netanyahu ran him by, ran this by him. <laughs> They're in cahoots. And you have to understand Israel, you know, it's a cat's paw for the United States. They, they don't do anything uh, without our approval, whatever you think. Um, I'm afraid we could see more provocations between now and uh, uh, January 20th when the uh, inauguration uh, uh, takes place. Uh, the it, it could be that, it, as you're seeing right now in the mean media, there's enormous uh, instability in here in the United States produced by the uh, Trump-Biden uh, uh, disputed uh, election. Uh, we don't know how that's going to turn out, but it's, it's clearly uh, an unstable situation. It could be like this all the way up to... Uh, Inauguration Day in um, uh, January 20th. We could see uh, a wag the dog phenomena by uh, Trump uh, to uh, attack Iran uh, in order to consolidate himself um, domestically here in the United States. If he were to attack Iran, as you know, almost all the U.S. news media, the mainstream news media are Zionist. Uh, so they will, uh, uh, I think, for the most part, immediately hop to it, salute and, and ship out. So there's very little uh, opposition here uh, in the United States. There are some peace movements I've worked with, peace groups, but very little opposition. Uh, and, and it's extremely uh, dangerous for Iran. And then uh, finally, we know for a fact uh, that at the end of the Bush Jr. administration, um, uh, Cheney and all the uh, neoconservatives here in the United States, starting about August before he left office in January, uh, pushed uh, Bush Jr. heavily to go to war against Iran. Uh, again, it was uh, uh, first Afghanistan, then Iraq. They wanted him to uh, go to war against Iran. There was massive pressure put on him uh, to such an extent he wrote in his memoirs, according to the reports, yes, they were all pushing for war against Iran, but I decided to leave it to the next president uh, rather than start a third war. Uh, so uh, that's going on right now uh, as we speak. All the neocons, uh, uh, the Zionists, they're all, uh, the Israel lobby, are pushing uh, Trump to uh, go to war against Iran. And it could be the deal will be that if you go to war against Iran, 
we all the Zionists here in the United States and our Zionist-controlled news media will support you. Um, and then Trump can use that to uh, get himself uh, reelected in the new Congress on, on January 6th uh, up to January 20th. Um, it, you know, he whatever people think of Trump, um, you know, he's a pretty shrewd operator. Uh, I guess developed all those years dealing uh, real estate swindles in uh, Manhattan. So uh, I wouldn't put any of this past Trump. And yes, it, it would be extremely uh, uh, dangerous. Uh, a British think tank found uh, a number of years ago they attack Iran. They they could kill maybe two million people. Uh, they just tested out a new uh, B-61 uh, uh, atomic weapon, a bunker buster. That was done on purpose uh, to signal to Iran that, you know, they could take out their most uh, hardened and deeply buried uh, military facilities with nuclear weapons. Uh, that, that was just done. So um, the signs are not uh, very good. I So far, I think... The Iranians understand this and uh, have not allowed themselves to be provoked. Again, Trump wants to provoke them um, uh, and that he can then use as a pretext for war, just like he did by flying that uh, drone directly into their airspace and came 10 minutes away from war uh, the last time. But this is go for broke for the uh, Zionists, the Israel lobby, Israel. Um, and maybe one way that Trump figures uh, he can get elected uh, 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 president and inaugurated January 20th. So it, it's a very dangerous situation here that uh, confronts the United States and I regret to say the Islamic Republic of Iran. I think they need to cool it. Uh, I, I think they understand this. Uh, certainly the leadership there does, and not allow themselves to be provoked. The problem is, of course, uh, I'm afraid that there will be continuing escalations by Trump and, and, and Israel uh, and, and provocations. You know, and at some point, uh, it, it will be hard for any self-respecting government there in Iran not to respond as they did after uh, 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 the Americans uh, murdered uh, General Soleimani. As you know, they, they launched short-range ballistic missiles on a, a U.S. Uh, base there in Iraq, but they told the Americans they were coming, so the soldiers uh, 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 basically were in their shelters. But next time, they might not tell the Americans they're coming. Uh, plus, you've got repeated uh, uh, provocations there uh, in the uh, in the uh, uh, Straits of Hormuz uh, by uh, U.S. warships. Um, so I, I wish I had a better uh, analysis of the situation at that's at this time. Basically, it, it's so volatile here in in the United States that anything could happen. And especially with Trump as president. And yeah, by the way, his his advisor, his top guy there, uh, Pompeo, uh, he, he pushing all this. Uh, he was behind me at Harvard Law School. 
he's a sharp guy, but he's uh, a militarist warmonger from the get-go. And uh, he certainly would like to see uh, uh, war against Iran. Uh, after the uh, shoot-down of the uh, drone, you had Pompeo, Bolton, and uh, bloody Gina Haspel, head of the CIA, all pushing Trump to to go to war against Iran at that time. Bolton is gone, thank heaven for that, but Pompeo is just as bad. Yeah, and you, you've made the case, so, like, we've seen the last 20 years, this trend, uh, you know, Wesley Clark spelled it out. They have a plan, they've gone down the list uh, I, I was reading you know it seems every re-election every election cycle we've seen prime minister netanyahu call for an attack on iran right before u.s uh, elections he did that in 2012 right before obama's re-election he was calling for an attack on iran and there were reports that uh right before this election like in october that he again was uh, egging on uh, war with iran and as you mentioned you know they, they, they keep pushing Soleimani in, in January, the nuclear scientist uh, recently, the reported drone attack on the Iranian Guard commander. They're just attacking Iranian nuclear and missile facilities. And as you said, they want to create this pretext. Now there's talk of... Well, and also to add to your list, uh, Israel basically is waging uh, uh, de facto warfare against Iranian troops in uh, Syria. And Remember that Syria is the legitimate government there, and they uh, legally invited uh, Iran to come to their defense under Article 51 of the UN Charter, Collective Self-Defense, against uh, uh, Obama's uh, jihadists uh, trying to, uh, to overthrow them. And Israel now has been basically waging an illegal de facto war. Uh, against Iran in Syria. So we have to understand, as we speak today, there is warfare between Israel and, and, and Iran in Syria, and all this has the uh, approval of the Trump administration. There, there's also been talk of uh, in the U.S. of a cyber attack coming from Iran. I would kind of attribute that to a possible false flag operation, you know, to serve as a pretext. We know the U.S. has come out and said, you know, we'll dress up uh, Iranian American soldiers as Iranians and then have them attack us to create a pretext that that has been officially, you know, Seymour Hirsch broke that story in 2007. And so, you know, could, could they use any kind of even an accident? I mean, is could war really be imminent? Because this has been going on for 20 years. But is it a real possibility? I'm afraid it is. This is go for broke, uh, both by the uh, Israelis and the uh, Zionists here in the United States. This might be um, their last opportunity to take out Iran as they see it, because uh, uh, Biden has indicated he is prepared to go back to the uh, uh, Obama JCPOA. I have read and analyzed the entire uh, JCPOA and given uh, interviews on it, um, and and I please understand I'm I'm a political independent. I I didn't vote for Trump or Biden or Trump or Clinton. I didn't even vote for Obama twice. I vote for independent candidates. Um, so I'm not here as an Obama uh, uh, supporter, but I do support that JCPOA, despite all the lies that that Trump told. I read that whole agreement. 
And uh, it was clearly a uh, capitulation by Iran uh, to almost all the demands by the United States. I'm not criticizing them. They're in a desperate situation over there. Uh, uh, the United States was basically waging economic warfare against them. Uh, and they decided, fine, we, you know, we don't really intend to have nuclear weapons anyway. So we'll just, you know, pretty much capitulate here. Uh, and, and hopefully we will get sanctions relief. And uh, uh, that's what happened. Indeed, if you doubt me, uh, you can uh, see on YouTube two press conferences uh, given after the JCPOA was signed, one by Secretary of State uh, Kerry and the other by uh, the Iranian Foreign Minister Zarif. Now, I listened very carefully to these uh, two press conferences. And at the end of listening to them, I, clearly, I said to myself, one of them is lying because uh, it's clear uh, they're saying completely different things to their domestic audiences. And I couldn't tell which one was lying. I, I wouldn't put it past Kerry lie. Uh, um, but um, when I actually got the documents and read through them, um, everything Secretary of State Kerry said in that interview was correct. I, I don't dispute anything he said. Um, and basically, uh, 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 Foreign Minister Zarif was, was trying to sell this capitulation to his own people in parliament. Well, of course, that had the approval of uh, 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 Ayatollah, uh, 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 of their Ayatollah, their com comedy. Um, so fine. I mean, that was their decision. Um, and uh, also uh, Secretary of Energy Moniz, uh, who was involved in those negotiations, Secretary of Energy, he also gave a press conference. I listened very carefully to everything he said about this agreement, and it was correct. Uh, there, was, there was nothing uh, that, that I could disagree with in there. So it's clear that um, the JCPOA was definitely to the advantage of the United States. And again, I'm not blaming the Iranians. They were between a rock, uh, rock and a hard place, and they didn't intend to have nuclear weapons anyway. So as they saw it, fine, we'll just trade it all away, almost all of it, in, in, in to get the sanctions relief, which they did. So fine, and everyone went on. Trump came in and at the behest of all the Zionists, including uh, Adelson, a big supporter, contributor, uh, he sabotaged the entire thing. And everything that uh, he and, and Pompeo uh, have said about the JCPOA uh, being a bad deal, it's, it's a total lie, total lie. Um, so the Iranians are back uh, now where they were, uh, uh, hoping that, you know, Biden has said he's prepared to go back to the JCPOA um, and hoping to hold out until Biden is in there on January 20th, assuming Biden gets in there on January 20th. It's now going to be decided by the Supreme Court over the weekend. We don't know. Um, so uh, uh, the Iranians are, are holding out. Now, some of the Americans around Biden has said, well, uh, you know, we have some other conditions here that we want to add and not, not go straightly back to the JCPOA. President Rouhani has just said, well, 
we can go back to the JCP, JCPA, JCPOA immediately, which can't be done, and then we can negotiate from there. That's the way these things are normally done. You conclude uh, an international agreement like the JCPOA, and then you move on to the next stage. Um, I would hope if Biden were in there, uh, there would be uh, a clean, straight um, uh, uh, return to the JCPOA without further conditions. Uh, Rouhani just said that uh, they would go back to the uh, uh, situation it was under the JCPOA uh, uh, with, uh, with the sanctions being lifted. So I would hope that could be done uh, under Biden. But that's the problem, you see, that, that, that Trump and Adelson and Pompeo, all the American Zionists and the uh, Israelis don't want that to happen, which, you know, creates an enormous uh, pressure incentive to attack, attack Iran. I think, you know, this, this could be the Zionist last chance to take Iran out because Iran is the only state now in the entire Persian Gulf that doesn't do what the Americans tell them to do. That's the problem. They, they don't take orders. Um, I mean, they went along with that JCPOA for reasons uh, I, I explained to you, uh, but they don't take orders. They have enormous quantities of oil and gas there, and they control that uh, strategic uh, Strait of Hormuz. So that's that's the situation we're in. All those forces are there uh, and in play. As I said, it's a very complicated uh, 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 U.S. domestic and uh, international uh, situation. I- I've tried to explain the dynamics at work here as best I can. Yeah, I agree. I also had the similar conclusion on the JCPOA. Um, just one more question on Iran and nukes. Uh, it seems that Washington has been itching to test out for the first time their so-called tactical uh, nukes. Uh, and not only that, U.S. is the only country in the world, I believe, that has a preemptive a nuclear strike policy. And so, I mean, if anything did happen, you know, would, would we see them, U.S., drop uh, a mini-nuke, you know, strategic tactical mini-nuke? Yes, that's in, that's in the U.S. war plans, right, that... Uh, uh, going back to uh, Bush Jr., uh, uh, the use of uh, uh, non-strategic nuclear weapons uh, have been uh, thoroughly uh, integrated into uh, uh, U.S. Uh, war plans in the military. If you, it, when we're done here, if you could send me uh, an email, uh, I I gave a big speech in um, Malaysia on this precise issue at the request of the then-retired Prime Minister uh, uh, Mahathir Mohammed. Uh, I can send that to you, and it goes through uh, uh, the war plan, uh, 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 integrating uh, uh, U.S. Uh, 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 tactical uh, nuclear weapons at all stages. So you are perfectly correct. Uh, they would f- be fully prepared to use nuclear weapons. That's why they tested out the, the uh, bunker nuclear-capable uh, bunker busting uh, bomber just two weeks ago. It, it, it's nuclear capable, um, and uh, sure, if 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 they have to, they're fully prepared to use nuclear weapons against technics uh, against Iran. Yes, I don't doubt it for a minute. 
this British think tank and said, you know, if that happens, we could be talking of millions of dead Iranians. And to move on a, a little bit to a slightly different uh, topic, but which I think is related, you know, the Trump administration, particularly with Jared Kushner, has been miraculously formulating peace deals uh, in the Middle East, where Israel is normalizing relations with its neighbors, the UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and just yesterday, uh, Morocco, uh, which Russia came out, I think, yesterday or today, saying that the U.S. Uh, uh, recognition of, of Morocco over Western Sahara is uh, a violation of international law. But these, this normalization uh, between Israel and its neighbors seems to be unprecedented. And on top of that, you know, Israel is selling uh, weapons uh, and equipment to, to UAE and, and others. And also a lot of these countries formed the International Security Alliance, something that was uh, formed by France and, and the UAE. So it seems like there's there's this process of between Israel and a, a lot of neighbors now that are coming together and and Netanyahu made uh, apparently a historic visit to Saudi Arabia to see the Crown Prince bin Salman just recently as well which you know would that signal Israeli Saudi normalization and 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 you know, so what's going on here and is this possibly Israel kind of building an alliance again between its neighbors that could be used uh, against Iran well let me say at this point it does not look good for the Palestinians I've been a lawyer trying to help them since 1982, and I've supported them since 1969, when I first studied uh, the Middle East with uh, Leonard Binder, who was the director of the Middle East Studies Program at the University of Chicago, and one of the foremost uh, uh, Middle East uh, experts. Uh, I'm afraid that if there is a war uh, with Iran, Israel will use this uh, as a cover and a pretext to inflict another round of ethnic cleansing against the Palestinians, like the uh, Naqsa in 1967, or even the Nakba in 1948. Basically, the, Ara the, the Palestinians are completely defenseless right now. Uh, <clears throat> and as Israel sees it, I think, you know, Iran is not really a threat to them because they don't have nukes. Israel, you know, Israel has how many nukes these days? The report, maybe 100, who knows? Uh, um, Iran is not really a threat to them, but the Palestinians are. Now, there's still millions of them living there. And Israel wants all of Palestine, and they don't want any of the Palestinians. Uh, that was uh, uh, the standard position of uh, Likud, that uh, Jordan is Palestine. Okay, so we could see if there is war against Iran, uh, massive ethnic cleansing against the uh, Palestinians and driving as many of them out as possible uh, into Jordan. And that is what really concerns me today as we speak um, of the of the poor Palestinians. And I found an article that you wrote uh, as well in 2010, uh, which was interesting that you wrote uh, the impending collapse of the state of Israel by 2030. Uh, and on one hand, as you mentioned, seems Israel, I mean, just in recent news, we've seen them expanding their settlement uh, again into Palestinian territory. So what, what makes you think Israel uh, will collapse and have you changed your forecast at all? 
No, it's even been reinforced because now you're you're going to have your fourth election in two years, right? And basically, uh, uh, one of the requirements of international law for a state is to have an effective working government. And they haven't really had an effective working government over there now in the past two years with four elections. So I think that uh, 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 sort of strengthens my analysis that there, there's if you don't have a government, you don't have a state. Um, but uh, certainly you still have Netanyahu in power and he would see uh, uh, this war and ethnic cleansing against the Palestinians as the solution to what they what is their uh, so-called demographic uh, problem which is really uh, racist and genocidal against the Palestinians. So sure, if they can ethnically cleanse uh, 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 the, you know, the Palestinians out of there into Jordan, um, that, that might solve their problems as they see it. Remember that I served as a legal advisor to Chairman Arafat on, and the PLO on the creation of the State of Palestine, the Palestinian Declaration, of November 15, 1988. It was my idea to do that. I did all the legal work on that for them. Um, and then I served as a legal advisor to the Palestinian delegation to the Middle East peace negotiations from 1991 to 1993, and especially its uh, chairman, uh, the late great uh, Dr. Uh, Haider Abdel Shafi, my client and uh, friend. Dr. Abdul Shafi uh, instructed me to draft the uh, uh, counteroffer, the Palestinian counteroffer to the Oslo Agreement. But unfortunately, it, it was not to be. And the Palestinians took the Oslo Agreement, not my counteroffer. Well, they proved my counteroffer, but at the end of the day, they still accepted the uh, Oslo Agreement. In any event, uh, in, I guess it was 2017, uh, I got the unfortunate word that Dr. Abdul Shafi was dying. So I thought I would have a um, final conversation with him. We were friends, comrades in arms. We opposed Oslo to the bitter end, believe me, uh, the two of us, comrades in arms there, um, to say goodbye and also to get his final words of wisdom. So uh, I called there at his home in Gaza. His wife recognized who I was. He get, gave the phone to him. And uh, his first words were to me, it is good to hear your voice. And then we had a long talk about the current situation and where to go from here. And Dr. Abdul Shafi said to me in a very firm tone of voice, uh, even though, obviously, he was frail at that time. And he just said, the Zionists have not changed their objectives since the Baal Conference of 1897. Now, that's 20, 2017. The Baal Conference, they want all of Palestine and none of the Palestinians. That was Dr. Abdul Shafi's assessment of the situation before he died, I believe he is correct on that. Um, you know, may he uh, rest in peace. A, a great man, a great, great hero, 
for the Palestinians. I, I can assure my Palestinian Arab friends out there, he did everything humanly possible to stop Oslo with my support. Um, but it was not to be. And now the Palestinians are in the situation they are currently in. And it, it does not look very good for them at all. They've been abandoned and betrayed now by most of the Arab world, as far as I can tell. But it's always been like that. If you've worked with the Palestinians as long as I have, you know, the Palestinians have always been on their own. Uh, and uh, so it, it doesn't surprise me that uh, Kushner and Trump have cut all these deals. Uh, uh, and finally, uh, the uh, 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 Arab leaders have come out of the closet in public uh, to uh, uh, work in cahoots with Israel and the American Zionists. So it doesn't surprise me at all. It's clear that that had been the case. League of Arab States never did any good for them. Um, you know, the last time, uh, uh, you know, the Arab world did anything was the 1973 war. You know, when Israel um, invaded uh, 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 Egypt, Syria, uh, whatever, and they tried, well, excuse me, the, uh, uh, the Egyptians and the Syrians tried to take their land back that was stolen in 1967, so they called an oil embargo. But at that point, uh, the United States government, Kissinger, threatened them and said, you know, if you ever do that again, we'll destroy you and take your oil fields. That's the U.S. Central Command. That's what it's all about. Then they proceeded to uh, arm, equip, um, supply, and train the rapid deployment force, which became the central command. And then they stole Iraq's oil under Bush Sr. That's what that was all about. Uh, and after that, even uh, Huntington, after the Gulf War One, Huntington said that um, the Persian Gulf was an American lake. And I went through the exact same PhD program at Harvard that produced Huntington before me, but I wouldn't study with him because of his, uh, as a matter of principle, because of his diehard support for the Vietnam War. And other Harvard students saw it the same way. So I'm afraid that the Palestinians are in a very existentially dangerous situation here if, um, if there is war against Iran, right? All right. And so we've covered, I guess, the, the Middle Eastern waterfront, uh, Iran, Israel, uh, Palestine. And again, I, I, I love your, your book. When I was looking for material on this subject that was authoritative, you know, dealing with international law, foreign policy, and I found destroying Libya and world order. Um, and in the book, you, you, you explained very well something that I, I, I couldn't find anyone else explain uh, so well regarding what was happening in, in Libya and, and, and Syria and the bigger picture. And, and um, you wrote that, you know, in 2011, that I was always trying to figure out why China and Russia didn't support, uh, didn't back Gaddafi. And so in 2011, both China and Russia abstained on Resolution 1973, which was the authorization for NATO to bomb uh, Libya. And then you wrote that, quote, Russia had decided to sacrifice their Libyan pawn in order to protect the Syrian Rook and Iranian queen, as well as its own king, uh, Moscow, essentially to buy time uh, for Russia and its allies. And that you said that, you know, 
I think we know this, that Russia and China are the ultimate uh, objectives. If we look beyond uh, Iran, and, you know, yesterday it was reported that American convoys have, again, illegally entered into Syria in order to just outright flagrantly steal oil. And also Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov made a really, I think, powerful and stern remark again just this week. So so, so many things are happening Um Lavlov revealed that the U.S. is attempting to push regime change in Russia and that they're not hiding it at all. So this is extreme hubris, imperial hubris, but it's also uh, dangerous because I think when an empire begins to act so carelessly like this, it means that, you know, it's like they're on the verge of doing something crazy, you know, uh, um, escalating things. And so how do you see the, the beyond Iran, you know, the U.S., Russia, China issued. You, you see things could escalate there. Well, first of all, uh, that's correct about Libya. If if you read that Security Council resolution, it was clear that uh, uh, Obama was going to use that uh, resolution as legal authority to destroy Libya. That, that was very clear. And uh, uh, I've lectured uh, to Russian uh, Soviet lawyers on two uh, lecture tours over there in uh, 86 and 89 as uh, the guest of the uh, Association of Soviet Lawyers. They have first-rate international lawyers over there. I've dealt with them all. They knew what, you know, when you read that resolution, what was going to happen, and they did not veto it. Um, so it's clear, I think, that, um, uh, you know, it, it's sort of like... Um, you know, appeasing Hitler is what it amounted to. Um, but in the case of President Putin, unlike uh, Chamberlain uh, uh, after Munich, Putin decided we better rearm here. Um, and yes, you have uh, uh, Libya as a pawn, uh, Iraq, uh, sorry, Iran uh, as, as the uh, next stage here, the rook. The ultimate objective, of course, is is Russia. There's no question about that in my mind. Um, and of course, highly provocative action there in in with respect to China and the South China Sea. No question about that. I mean, we can discuss that if you want to. But the overall um, perspective was given by my teacher, mentor, and friend. Hans Morgenthau at the University of Chicago, who founded International Political Science. And in his classic work, uh, Politics Among Nations, which Kissinger used to teach uh, international relations at Harvard. I went through the exact same PhD program at Harvard that produced Kissinger before me, the Harvard Graduate School of Arts and Sciences Department of Government, not the Kennedy School. Kennedy School's all U.S. imperial operatics. The government department is where they train future professors. And they gave me Kissinger's uh, old office at Harvard Center for International Affairs. Harvard trained me to be one of these people. Uh, But in his book, Politics Among Nations, Morgenthau has a very astute analysis of imperialism and what it's all about. And then he distinguishes what he calls unlimited imperialism, that is imperialistic states that will try to conquer the entire world if they can get away with it, uh, unless they are stopped. 
and that um, examples that uh, he cited uh, were Alexander the Great, uh, the Romans, uh, the Arabs, uh, uh, Napoleon, and Hitler. And this is what we're dealing with here in the United States of America, uh, unlimited imperialism as defined by Hans Morgenthau himself and the mentor to Henry Kissinger, um, that um, the United States fully intends to conquer as much of the world as they possibly can. And right now, the only three major states standing in the world are Iran, which compared to Russia and China is small, and then Russia and China. Right. This is uh, I've written about this in one of my books uh, that, that this is unlimited imperialism after 9-11-2001. Uh, that's what that was all about. Uh, and to use 9-11-2001, their war against uh, international terrorism as a pretext to go out and steal as much uh, oil and gas and strategic uh, shipment truckboats as possible. And most of that is in the Arab and Muslim uh, world um, and to control the world economy. So yes, uh, Russia is, is a target and China is a target. And as, as Morgenthau pointed out, um, this will continue until um, an organized group of people stand up to stop them. And it does appear that uh, Putin and, and Xi have, have decided to, to stand up to try to stop them. Um, so, it, you know, that doesn't look good either. But, but this is, he said, this is classic behavior that you saw by Alexander the Great the Romans, Napoleon, and Hitler. And, and this is the mentality now we have here uh, in the United States, certainly in Washington, CIA, FBI, Pentagon, NSA, all what in the uh, old Soviet Union were called the power ministries. That's what's going on here. And, you know, Trump, Biden, uh, Obama, you know, it, 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 uh, uh, it they're pretty much all the same from that perspective. Uh, it'll be one or the other. Um, and as you can see, oh, uh, Biden is just bringing back into power all the Obama people. Obama uh, was behind me at Harvard Law School. We had the, whole, the same uh, jurisprudence teacher who on uh, the BBC said, quote, Obama is a disaster, unquote. And Obama, as you know, waged warfare against at least seven different states including uh, Libya, he took out Libya, tried to take out Syria, destroyed most of it, uh, started the war uh, 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 against Yemen. Uh, outright genocide there uh, in Yemen, as you correctly point out, our proxy there, the Saudis, are uh, trying to conquer and control Yemen. They have uh, 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 gas and oil and strategic location there right uh, on the Red Sea guaranteeing access to the Suez Canal. All the oil and gas from um, uh, uh, the Persian Gulf region goes through the Suez Canal to Europe. And then uh, uh, Somalia, yes, Somalia has large quantities uh, of oil, 
Uh, that was the reason for the Bush senior invasion uh, in 1992. Uh, Somalia had already been carved up by U.S. oil companies. And then their location there, uh, uh, right on the uh, um, uh, Persian Gulf area, controlling access again through the uh, uh, Suez Canal. So, you know, the Americans are very strategic thinkers. That's why they have the National War College, right? They just plot war there. I've, I've been to the National War College. I've debated people from there. This is the way they think, the way they operate, and the way they deal. Yes. Then one more question on the Russian-China. Um, as you said, that the empires won't stop uh, until, until, you know, allies um, like Putin or Xi stand up. But do you see the potential for the U.S.? To just push through and by by hook or by crook by by accident starts you know war with real war with China and Russia that would lead I guess to another global war. Did you see again this a real possibility? Yes, of course. As I as I said before uh, in some of my writings, uh, we now have here in the United States, and this was before Trump came to power. Uh, the unlimited imperialists along the lines of Alexander the Great, the Romans, Napoleon, and Hitler in charge of American foreign policy and the specters of both um, World War I and World War II uh, hover over the heads of all humanity. Yes, uh, Biden coming to power, uh, uh, all, you know, the Biden people, um, our protégés of Zbigniew Brzezinski. I went through the exact same program at Harvard uh, that produced Brzezinski before me, um, and I offered both Russian history and Soviet politics on my PhD oral general exams at Harvard that qualified me to teach those two subjects uh, to Harvard undergraduates. Um, and and Brzezinski, uh, it's an expatriate Pole, hated the Russians uh, with a passion, could not even be rational, and wanted to just break uh, Russia up into its constituent units. Okay, All the foreign affairs and defense people in the Democratic Party today, uh, 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 the Biden people, are protégés of Brzezinski. He was Carter's national security advisor. Uh, starting in 1976. He was behind the uh, Mujahideen War uh, against Afghanistan, producing uh, al-Qaeda. And in his opinion, it helped crack up the Soviet Union. Uh, and then uh, he returned to power with the uh, Obama campaign. Obama studied with him at Columbia. Uh, Obama doesn't know anything about foreign affairs. But he studied with uh, Brzezinski. He was his uh, mentor. Uh, Obama was his protege. And so what in the Obama campaign and then the Obama administration, all of the people uh, uh, in foreign affairs defense, uh, Brzezinski put them in there. He didn't go back to the government himself, but they were all his protégés. Uh, and these are the people that Biden are uh, bringing back to power today uh, the protégés of, of Brzezinski, right? So it's it's a very dangerous situation. 
Trump seems to have a different attitude towards uh, towards the Russians, that and, and he's been lambasted uh, over this. Uh, Putin, you know, Putin's puppet, uh, etc. You know, Mrs. Clinton calling them that. It's preposterous. Uh, not that I support Trump, but uh, the, you know, no uh, real analytical uh, um, uh, approach here to what's what's going on. So if these Biden, you know, if Biden is inaugurated on January 20th and all the Brzezinski people are back in there, the protégés, yeah, uh, it could be very dangerous, uh, very dangerous, yes, uh, uh, against Russia. All right. Um, do you have any final thought uh, to leave us with then as we finish off 2020 and move into 2021? Well, I I've given your viewership here my best analysis of the situation here i you know i know you have you know smart intelligent people out there uh, uh listening and viewing here uh and you'll have to you know evaluate what i had to say but i would encourage uh everyone to do what you can to to try to stop this as as i have and i'm not telling you what to do I leave that to your own conscience. But right now we're in a dire situation and even putting aside the uh, the COVID pandemic. Um, so that those are my final words that, you know, act in accordance with your conscience. All right. Um, as always, Dr. Francis Boyle, thank you again for your analysis and the work that you do. I know your semester just finished, so I hope you have a restful winter break. <laughs> thanks for being on geopolitics and empire well thank you for uh having me on and i know you'll do a great job getting this uh interview out there maybe it'll go viral and uh we can be censored off of you you boob tube uh uh again uh, i think that would be uh wonderful if that were to happen but uh you know happy holidays to uh uh everyone out there um uh what can i say I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon all the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.